Hey friends, it's Weston, and I wanted to take just a second to thank you for listening to the Bowling Green Christian Church Sermon Podcast. If someone recommended this message to you, I hope that it encourages you. If you're here getting caught up on a week you missed, I hope that it challenges you. And if you're a visitor checking us out, I hope that it helps you connect with Jesus and his church. Whoever you are, whenever you're ready to take your next step closer to Jesus or to connect with a BGCC family, know that we're here for you. You can learn more about how to connect with us by downloading our app when you text BGCC app to 77977. There in the app, you can submit prayer requests, find out about upcoming events, and even give to help support our ministry, including this podcast. It's my prayer that God uses this message to encourage and equip you to take your next best step in life, which is always one step closer to Jesus. Um, surprising though, right? You didn't see mom's superhero video earlier, so it's it's how it is. Surprising. Parenting is surprising. I know that for me personally, I appreciate my parents so much more as I get older, and I think about the fact that I'm still alive, and... Um, it's a big deal, right? I mean, if you've had kids, you know, like, my goodness, it's a challenge, right? The fact that I was allowed to live as a baby and through my terrible twos and I wasn't disowned as a teenager, all these things, man, full of gratitude for. Uh, surprise is the word, I think, that fits it best because it's a new reality. When you think about the word surprise, you think about the terms uh, of just kind of something coming to you in a new way, in a way that maybe is a paradigm shift where you kind of, you know, you thought this, but then you, you know, this was real, you know, I mean, it could be a surprise birthday party, right? You know, you thought you were going to go do something, but then you're actually, surprise, it's this, you know, or it could be something like, you know, hey, surprise, we're going to have a baby. That's a surprise that changes your reality. Uh, surprises aren't all positive, though. I don't have to tell you that. I mean, we use the word a little differently. You know, it took us by surprise, you know, how many people have we heard from it took us by total surprise? We didn't think we were going to be dealing with cancer, and now we're dealing with what? It's a new reality. Uh, that's what a surprise is. It's a, it's, a, it's a way that just sort of takes us where we're, we think we've got it all figured out, and then all of a sudden, it's like the carpet gets pulled out from underneath us, and we see that, my goodness, we don't have hardly anything figured out. That's, that's what we're going to look at here this morning, because here's, here's what I know is that God is not the author and source of all surprises, but he grows us through surprises. God grows us through surprises of life. If you look at how God has worked with people throughout history, you realize that this is one of his favorite uh, tools. You know, he takes what you expect, and then he does the exact opposite. So God's going to form a nation of people. He's going to create this nation of priests. It's going to take his message of love to the world. And so who is he going to pick to be the father of this nation? He's going to pick somebody who doesn't have any kids. He's going to take Abraham and Sarah, who are infertile, and they can't have kids. And God is going to say, listen, I'm going to choose you to be the father of not just this nation, but many nations. It's a surprise. You see this surprise come true when he picks Moses, right? Moses is going to be the leader. He's going to be the spokesperson for the nation of Israel. But here's the surprise. Moses can't speak well. The, the words are hard for Moses, and he doesn't, he doesn't do the talking thing real good. This is a surprise. You know, who's going to be the new king of this nation? Well, you know, the guy that we picked 
Uh, he was actually still in the field because nobody thought he was going to even be a contender. But God says, no surprise, I want the boy that's taking care of the sheep. I choose David. It's a surprise. Surprise. How's God going to save the world? He's going to send his son, Jesus Christ, to the world to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. And God is going to surprise us all by taking on human form and being obedient to go to the cross. It's a surprise. Now, here's the thing. These surprises are surprises because we as individuals have definite ideas about how God works. Now, if you're here this morning, this is you, okay? Whether you believe in God, you know, or you don't believe in God, or you're wondering if you believe in God, most of us have some sort of definite idea about how God is. Either he, he doesn't exist, or he does, or he always works this way. We have definite ideas about who God is and how he works. Now, we're going to look at two, uh, two individuals here in the book of Acts. One's going to be more familiar to you, one's going to be a little less familiar to you probably. Um, who have definite ideas about God, and there's this one surprise that shows up and completely changes everything for both of them, brings them closer to God and to each other. And I think that today, as we look at this text, it might be a challenge for us to sort of open up our eyes and realize that God is maybe trying to do something new. He might be doing something new inside of you. The new thing might be that he is calling you to himself. It might be new that he wants to use you in a way that is unexpected or that you feel unprepared for. But I think that it's important we realize God works and moves in surprising ways. So the first character we're going to meet here is going to be a guy by the name of Cornelius. Cornelius is a a Roman centurion. So he has got some level of importance. He's got some level of uh, prestige and clout within his community. And not only is he respected by the Romans, but he's also respected by the Jewish community in the town in which he lives. Because Cornelius, while he hasn't proselytized over to Judaism completely, I mean, that whole circumcision thing's probably... You know, you got to think twice about that probably um, at his age. He's, he's not quite gone over there, but he is really drawn towards this Jewish God. And so it's clear that he is giving and that he is, you know, contributing to the work of, of the poor in the community, that he's probably giving to the synagogue. And so he has this, this draw to who God is. I want to look at the text here. It's going to be in Acts chapter 10. If you've got your Bibles or Bible-enabled device, or if you just want to look at the screen, we'll put it there. I've got it here. Um, It says this, in in Acts chapter 10, verse 1, In Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of the Italian cohort, as it was called, and he was a devout man who feared God with all his household. He gave alms generously to the people and prayed constantly to God. Now, I don't know all that motivates Cornelius. I think that he's devout. I think he loves God. I think he's probably also got a bit of guilt that he's dealing with because, you know, he hasn't gone all the way to becoming a Jewish, you know, adherent believer, uh, I think he's trying to make up for it. And I think he's trying to do everything he can to, to make sure that he makes God happy. And so, while he might not say it, he, he might really be trying to earn his way to heaven. He might really be trying to work his way into the grace of God. And so this is Cornelius. This is who he is. And God meets him where he is, which tells me, and I think it should tell all of us, that, that God is gracious that Cornelius' heart is in the right place, and God says, Cornelius, listen, you don't have to work this hard. You're wearing yourself out, Cornelius. I want to send you some good news. I want to give you a message of hope and of grace. And so, Cornelius, here's what I want you to do. God's going to give Cornelius a vision. He's going to say, Cornelius, I want you to send to this, this town. I want you to find a guy by the name of Peter. 
Now, we know Peter, right? He was one of the disciples of Jesus. He was one of Jesus' best friends. He walked and talked with Jesus for three years. And Cornelius, this is God saying this, I want you to call for him to come to you and tell you the message of grace. And so that's what Cornelius does. Now, Cornelius had to be surprised by this, right? But he's not going to be nearly as surprised as Peter is. It's funny, the people that are in faith, that are in the church, that like know God the longest, they're the ones who seem to have the hardest time realizing God would do something new and different. Um, and so Peter's got to get ready for this. So God sends Peter a vision too. Let's pick that up here in Acts chapter 10, verse 9. It says about noon the next day, they were on their journey. This is the delegation from Cornelius to Peter and approaching the city. And it's at this time that Peter goes up onto the roof of the house that he's in to pray. He became hungry. He wanted something to eat. And while it was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet coming down, being lowered to the ground by its four corners. In it were all kinds of four-footed creatures and reptiles and birds of the air. And then he heard a voice saying, get up, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is profane or unclean. And the voice said to him again a second time, what God has made clean, you must not call profane. So this happened three times, and the thing was suddenly taken up to heaven. Now, we need to talk about this for a second, because this is a super like, strange dream for us as Americans. Like We, we don't get this. Uh, let me help you here, because uh, Peter, he grew up in a community raised by folks where this kosher law of of not being able to eat certain things and having to dress in a certain way and not being able to do these kinds of things, uh, these laws were not just a spiritual responsibility because they had in their mind this long history of that when they obeyed these rules and they did this, they were in God's grace, and then when they didn't, you know, bad things happened to them. So they've got this, like, spiritual thing, like this is what God wants us to do to be holy and pure, but they also have it as a patriotic duty. Uh, because not, you know, about the same time for us to the American Revolutionary War, they'd had their own Revolutionary War. And this Revolutionary War had attained for them the semi-autonomous state that they had sort of enjoyed um, at this point in time. But during this raid and during this time and during this revolution, there was all sorts of violence taking place. Uh, because the, the king who was oppressing the Jewish folks, his name was Antiochus Epiphanes, and he would form these brigades who would go around just to harass the Jewish folks, and he would have them pack some like pork sandwiches, like seriously, and, and he would find Jewish men who would say, listen, if you have a bite of this, I'll let you live. If you don't, I'm going to kill you. That's your choice. And men would die. They would give up their lives instead of eating the pork. And so Peter likely has somebody in his lineage, you know, great-great-grandfather, great-great-great-uncle, something like this, who gave up their life to have the right to not eat these kinds of food. And so God lowers this sheet through this hole in heaven, the sheet pole. Um, that's what we call the hole in the top of the washing machine, by the way. You put the sheets into the, the sheet. That part's for free. Anyways, anyway, so we're moving on. So the sheet comes down, and he has this sheet dream, and he sees all this stuff running around on the sheet, and, and people are like, you know, Peter's like, well, I can't eat any of that stuff. It's like, it's, it's pork, and it's, you know, crustaceans, and it's all these, we can't eat any of this stuff. And God says, no, 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 Peter, don't call anything profane that I have called clean. This happens three times. Peter still doesn't get it. This is all getting Peter ready for something. 
because it's not just about food. This is the, the other part. This is the bigger part, actually, because it's not just like Peter's like on a diet, right? He's like, I'm on the no pork diet. I'm on the no crab diet. I'm, on, I'm just on the kosher diet. You know, some people are on the no gluten diet. You know, I, I get that. I hear you uh, pro-gluten right here. Um, but, you know, this is not just a dietary choice. This is now really bordering on being a racial issue, a prejudice that he has of both God and people. We see that when we look at how he greets Cornelius' family. Now, before we get there real quick, Cornelius, in the meantime, has been so excited that God is sending him a messenger. He is so pumped about it. And he has rounded up his family, his household, his friends. He's got them all in the room. He's like, listen, God is sending his messenger. Man, it's going to be great. He's going to tell us something new and amazing. And so this is happening. This is what Cornelius has done. Now, Peter walks into it. And listen to how he greets these people eager to hear the word of God. Uh, he says this. He says, you yourselves know that it is unlawful for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. In other words, Peter just leads with saying, you know I'm not supposed to be here. You know, like, I'm not supposed to hang out with you people. You know that I'm not supposed to be with all of you. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone profane or unclean. That's, that's what he leads with. I, you know, I used to call you profane and unclean because you are, but God told me I shouldn't say that anymore, so I'm not saying it anymore. So I just want you to know that I'm not calling you profane and unclean, even though I'm thinking it in my heart. Uh, so when I was sent for, I came without objection. Now, may I ask why you sent for me? Why have you inconvenienced me? Why have you brought me into your house, you Gentile pig dog? Tell me, what, what, what are we doing here? And it's in this moment that Peter's going to have to confront his prejudice. And this is what God does with surprises. He tears down our prejudices about him and about the people that he uses. God uses surprises to just show up in a way that's unexpected, and we go, oh, that's not what I thought God was going to do. Oh, you're not the person I thought God was going to use. He just does that. This is what he does for Peter. He, he does this as he walks into this room. Now, I'll tell you, I don't think Peter fully gets the point, even here. And so God, he's shown him three visions He's shown him now that God can, can speak to Cornelius, but there's one more thing that's going to have to happen. Hang on to that, because here's what's going to happen first. Cornelius is going to get the good news. Cornelius is going to get the good news about Jesus Christ, because here, all up to this time, Cornelius has been thinking, man, I've got to work my way to heaven. I've got to alms give. I've got to pray at all these right hours and all these sorts of things. I've got to work, 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 work to, to get to heaven, and now Peter's going to tell Cornelius, no. God's got something different. Let's look at the text. It says, Peter began to speak to them. I truly understand, Peter says, that God shows no partiality. He doesn't really just yet, I don't think. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. You know the message he sent to the people of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ that he is Lord of all. That message spread throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John announced. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. How he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And he says, we are witnesses to all that he did, both in Judea and Jerusalem. That he put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and allowed him to appear. Not to all the people, but to those of us who were chosen by God as witnesses and who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. Right here, 
Peter is telling Cornelius the good news. He's, gonna, he's got a message for him. He's got some teaching for him. And the message is real simple. It's that, listen, Cornelius, you don't have to work so hard. God has come to do for you what you could not do for yourself. Cornelius, I know that you're a respected man. I know that you have worked hard to become the man that you are. I know that you've worked hard to accomplish the recognition you have in the military. I know that you've worked hard to achieve a place of honor and prestige in your community. But Cornelius, while your work may have gotten you here, it is not going to get you to where God is. You will never be able to work so tall, so high, so hard that you're going to be able to get where God is. Cornelius, the good news is that Jesus Christ has come to do for you what you could not do for yourself. That's the good news, Cornelius. And right here we see this total paradigm shift change for Cornelius. Now, God's not done. He's got one more surprise here. It's a surprise both for Cornelius, but really it's more for Peter. Let's pick up here. It says, while Peter was still speaking, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who heard the word. And the circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astounded that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentile pig dogs. For they heard them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter said, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? So he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they invited him to stay for several days. You see, what's happened here now is, is the, the full culmination of what God had, had planned all along. Peter, he's got to have this vision that, that shows him that he shouldn't call food unclean. And then he has this encounter that shows him he shouldn't call people unclean. And now, just to prove the point, God's holy, pure, perfect, righteous spirit is poured out and fills these people that Peter used to call profane and unclean. And God says, listen, Peter, if they're good enough for me, they have to be good enough for you. And this, man, blows Peter's mind. Now, I tell you, I think the person who has the hardest time adjusting to this is Peter. And it's interesting to me because I think that people who've grown up in the church, been in the church for a long time, we're the ones that have the hardest time adjusting to change. It's just how it is. If you're new to faith or you're curious about faith, this idea that God is doing something new probably isn't real hard for you to think about because this whole thing is kind of new for you. I get that. But if you've grown up in church, sort of like Peter grew up in synagogue, and, and you, you have all these ideas brought to you, you know, you have some probably definite ideas about how God will work, would work, should work, could work, won't work, doesn't work. And I'll tell you, it's often in those places that God shows up and does things that are surprising to us. You know, it's amazing some of the stuff that we, you know, we used to think so, so important, you know. I mean, if you've been with the church through the decades, you know, you went from hymns to, you know, those Gaither songs to the seven, you know, 11 choruses of the 90s, and then you find yourself here today. And, you know, sort of each generation that passes, they kind of go, oh, well, see, but, you know, Jesus sang those. You know, Jesus, like in Gaither, like he's that old, right? I mean, you know, he used to sing those songs, you know. Um, you know, that's good enough for me. We just kind of have these moments where, like, man, that's, that's what it should be. I mean, the church through the ages has had all sorts of weird stuff they've, they wrestled with like Sunday school to community groups. Like, man, if, if your group doesn't meet in church, is it a church group? Like, you know, is Jesus there? Because like Jesus lives at the church, right? Because we call it the, the Lord's house, right? So is he at my house? You know, where, what's going on here? And as that movement has expanded, people realize, man, you know, it's kind of better for us to be casual in our homes because we're actually able to talk about stuff we might not feel comfortable talking about in church. You know, depending on how old you are, you have different ideas about whether, you know, you should wear a blue flamingo shirt when you preach or not. You know, I get that. 
answer is yes. It's a great shirt, by the way. I call these resurrection flamingos because they're like neon blue, and you can't see that in this world. But in the next, I've got high hopes that they're waiting for me. You can have your own hopes. Those are mine. They're modest. Anyways, where were we? We have definite ideas about how God's going to work, would work, should work, and God shows up to surprise us. So here's what I want to do. I know I don't have a lot of time left, but I, I want to just give you five ideas in the brief time we have for ways that you can get ready for God to surprise you. Okay, Get ready for God to surprise you. Um, starting with this first one, it is pray. Uh, just to pray. When you pray, or when pray, I don't, I don't make the slides, I just read them. Um, pray. We'll just cross the when out. Just go with pray. Um, pray. When you pray, you open yourself up to what God is doing in the world and around you. When you pray, man, you are kneeling yourself. Whether you're physically on your knees or not, you are recognizing that there's a God, that you are not God, and that you want God to act on your behalf. And so when you pray, it puts you in a great position to sort of be open to what God is doing. Now, here's the thing. Cornelius and Peter don't have a lot in common. They were raised different ways. They were taught different things were true. They have all sorts of stuff that's just completely opposite. But the one thing they both have in common is that they are praying when God starts acting. They are both praying when God starts to do something. Is that a coincidence? Absolutely not. Now, let me tell you, I know in this room we've got some people of you, you're pro-prayers. That's great. Keep it up. Keep praying, but add this to your prayer. Say, God, would you help me to see new things that you're doing, new ways to get involved? Would you show me new ways that you're trying to reach people? Pray that prayer. Others of you, though, you're like new to praying, and you've maybe never prayed, and you're not like sure, how do you do it? Like, is it dear Heavenly Father? Is it Lord? Is it, you know, sir, you know, to whom it may concern? How do you get started? Real simple, Jesus has a name. It's Jesus, and you can just start with that. And you can say, Jesus, I'm not even sure that I really believe you're out there, but if you are, would you meet me? Would you show yourself to me in a way that I could see and understand and, and, and grab a hold of? And I'll tell you, I think that this passage tells us that when we seek for God, we find that he's already looking for us, that he's already pursuing us. And that's good news. So pray. Second thing we need to do is recognize our own limited perspective. Let me tell you. I am a self-proclaimed expert on most things. Most things. It's true. Ask anybody that knows me real well. I, I know more about most things than most people. They're just self-proclaimed again. I, you know, it's just my own title. Um, but really, at the end of the day, I do have to realize that I'm not an expert on most things. I'm not even an expert on what God is doing. God has got a much bigger vantage point than I do. And God is looking at things in different ways than I am. And so I have to just recognize and humble myself and realize that, yes, I mean, I can see how God has worked in the past and I can see what God has done in my own life, but I don't always get to see how God is working. This is why I have a lot of, of, of just openness to maybe God showing up in ways that I don't expect. You know, I, I know some people have questions about different churches and things, and one of the things I love about our church is we recognize that we don't have the corner market on Jesus, that Jesus is meeting with us here, and he's meeting down the road with the Church of Christ, and there's a Baptist church. We're pretty sure Jesus is meeting with those folks and with the folks of the Catholic church and the Orthodox church, and there's Methodist churches, and I mean, there's storefront churches, and there's all sorts of churches, and we're sure that God is at work in these places, that people who call on the name of Jesus, that Jesus is at work there. Now, I'll tell you, there are things that we can definitively say from Scripture, man, God is not doing this. 
You know, there are things in Scripture that we can say, man, that is absolutely not the case. But, man, I'll tell you, there's a whole lot more room in there where we could say, man, God could show up in a way that's unexpected. So we've got to first just recognize we have a limited perspective. Second thing we need to do is we've got to choose people over politics or policies. Uh, This is is Peter's problem. Peter, you know, had been taught that, you know, the Gentiles are bad and the way that they eat is bad and the way that they live is bad and all these things are bad. And so God can't use the Gentiles. He was taught all this from an early age. And so he has all these rules and policies in place. And that's the thing the early church is going to struggle with most. You know, how much of the rules of the Jewish religion do you have to obey in order to come to faith? And they're going to have conference and debate and committees over this very issue of how Jewish do you have to be before you can become Christian. The Apostle Paul will write about this. It will show up in the book of Acts later. And they're going to come to this very you know, profound conclusion. They'll say, you know, we never were really that good at following the rules anyway. So why are we going to put these on anybody else? Let's not make it harder for people to come to know Jesus Christ. Let's make it easier. Let's put the people in front and make them connect with the person, Jesus Christ. Let's make it about the people, not the policies. Let's, let's do that. The, the fourth or third thing I've lost track here is this, is we've got to remember that God's grace is the biggest surprise of all. Man, that's, that's number one, isn't it? I mean, you know, I, I grew up in one tradition, went to Bible college in one tradition, and then I went to this multi-denominational seminary. And, I mean, at the time, it kind of blew my mind. Like, God is at work in all these places and people and things and doing things in ways that I didn't expect or see or see coming. And I'll tell you, it was refreshing to see how big God's grace is. Friends, God's grace is the biggest surprise of all. I mean, if we're honest about our own lives, I mean, what's the biggest surprise in our life is that God sent his son, Jesus Christ, for me and for you, and that his grace applies to all of us. Friends, that's the big surprise. That's the gift that God has for us. Finally, we need to do this. We need to join with God when we see him at work. This one, I think, is kind of easy to understand in principle, but it's difficult to sort of live out and execute because I think sometimes we get stuck and we're like, well, I don't know about that. You know, that seems kind of different. That seems kind of outside the box. I'm not sure about these things. I'll tell you, one of the easiest things that you can do to find out if God's at work there is to go join those folks and say, hey, I don't know. You know, it seems like you're doing something good for the community in the name of Jesus Christ. Maybe, maybe we could do this together. And I think you'll find out fairly quickly, you know, is God in this or is he not? Um, you know, I, I think that that's just how it is. And so when we see God at work, we can join with it. It doesn't mean you got to go necessarily, you know, move off to some new country where you see God at work, but you can pray for those folks. You say, God, would you be at work in those people's lives? Would you be honored and glorified in it? God, would you be at work there? So this morning as the worship team comes out, the, the, the challenge is real simple. It's just real basic. It's just to open up our eyes, our hearts, and our minds to what God is doing and may be doing. Now, for some of you, you're starting to feel these stirrings that maybe you've never felt before in your soul and your heart and your mind, and you're thinking, man, maybe God's at work in me. Maybe that's what all of this is. If that's the case, then you pray about that, and you say, God, I I don't have words or an understanding of all that I might be thinking or feeling, so God, would you help me to make sense of this? God, would you show yourself to me? Would you help me to be open to you? And the rest of us who've grown up in the church, we, we maybe need to confess and say, Jesus, you know, this is about you. We've got confused. We told you how you could be God, and really that was probably not ever our place. And so, Jesus, this week, would you help me to have eyes that are open and a heart that's humble? And, God, would you make me open to what it is that you're doing? So as we sing this song, that's what we want to do. We want to put it all aside and say, Jesus, it's about you. 
We're going to let you be God. We're going to let you do what you want to do to use the people that you want to use. And Jesus, if you want to use us, we would be open to that. We open ourselves to that. If you want to talk about that, you want to talk about what that would mean, I'd love to talk with you here after service. You could call us here at the church. We'd love to talk to you about what that means. But let's just simply make this basic commitment saying, God, we're going to let you be God, and we're going to be open to the way that you're at work in the world and in our lives. Why don't you stand? We're going to sing.